Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And don't forget to separate and stand out. Joining us today, we have a returning guest, Sarah Udaly, an assistant professor in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy and Translational Sciences at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and residency program director for the 24-month pharmacotherapy residency program at UT Medical Center in Knoxville. Sarah, it's great to have you back on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Taylor. It's great to be back. Today, we thought it would be helpful to discuss a topic you, Sarah, suggested to us, which we love it when our guests bring good topics to us, and uh, and that we've wanted to talk about personally for a while now. That topic is the different types of clinical skills and knowledge assessments during residency interviews. Yes, and these are definitely becoming more and more common as residency attainment gets more competitive. I think our listeners will really appreciate any insight, advice, or tips on the scope of these assessments they might encounter during interviews. And who better to discuss this topic than you, since you've recently published a paper on this very issue. So we'll dive into more specifics soon, but can you just tell us a little bit of background on the project I'm referring to and what you all set out to discover? Yeah, of course. So a few years back, I was in a meeting with a couple of the co-authors on the papers that we wrote about how to help prepare students for the residency application process. And the topic of clinical skills assessments came up. And from our discussion amongst the three of us, and also with students that each of us had talked to, anecdotally, it really seemed to us like more and more programs were using cases or soap notes or clinical questions during their on-site interviews. And that was something new for me because when I was going through this process many years ago, that really didn't exist. So we wondered, is there a way for us to figure out what programs are using so we're able to help better prepare our students um, for what they encounter during the on-site interview? So to get a better handle on how many programs were doing this, what they're doing, we decided to survey program directors across the country just to characterize what types of clinical problem-solving assessments were being incorporated into PGY1 on-site interviews, really in hopes that we would be able to more effectively help our students and applicants across the country prepare. So thank you so much for sharing that, and we will absolutely link that paper uh, in the show notes so you all can read that and get more insight into that paper and and what you published, Sarah. But I'm going to go into my first question here. So when we say clinical knowledge and problem-solving assessments, what are we referring to and what did you all find that programs were doing? Yeah, so that really refers to some sort of assessment during the interview of the applicant's clinical knowledge and their problem-solving skills. So specifically in our survey, 
we asked about clinical questions that were asked during the interview, development of soap notes or care plans, and then formal presentations. So all of those things were things that applicants had anecdotally mentioned to me and my co-authors and that they had been asked to do during on-site interviews. So some sort of assessment that you do during the interview that allows the interviewers a way to kind of grasp your clinical knowledge and also your critical thinking skills. So of the programs that responded to our survey, which was around 20%, 90% of the programs reported using at least one type of clinical knowledge and problem-solving assessment during an on-site interview. So that's 90%. So I think it's safe for applicants to plan on having at least one type of assessment during their on-site interview. We found that clinical questions during the interview were the most common assessment with 70% of programs reporting using those. And those are questions like asking the applicant to give a drug therapy recommendation in the context of a clinical scenario or asking about guideline recommended drug therapy for a specific disease state. So clinical questions were absolutely the most common assessment that was being used. But care plans or soap notes, as well as formal presentations, were used each by 40% of programs that responded. So the care plans are what we call soap notes. Most programs reported giving the case to the applicants in a written format, although some reported verbally presenting the case to the applicant. So that means the applicant listens to the case and then develops their plan from that information rather than having the written case. Interestingly with that, almost half of the programs that did the, that type of assessment didn't allow any resources. So they gave you the case. You didn't have anything but what was in your brain to come up with your care plan. So that really is a true assessment of your knowledge base and your clinical problem solving skills. And then also, quite interestingly, I would say is almost half of the programs had the applicants verbally present their care plan to the interviewers rather than doing a written soap note. So, Sarah, follow up to that. Was there any differences in which types of programs require different types of assessments? So that's a great question. Um, so most of our respondents were from either community or academic medical centers, each representing 40 percent of the responses. So we felt like we were able to accurately characterize what those programs were doing, so we focused on, on those. But really, there weren't a whole lot of differences based on the type of program. So I really interpret that to mean that applicants need to be prepared for and expect to engage in at least one type of clinical skills and problem-solving assessment during the interview. There is more specific information related to that in the paper that we published, and if your listeners are curious, they can access that article in HAHP. Was there anything regarding like the complexity or how long those assessments were they mentioned or that y'all asked about? So we didn't ask about the complexity or the time that the applicants were allowed to engage in those assessments, except for the formal presentation. We did ask about that. Most often, the required length of the presentation was between 10 and 20 minutes, but that's really the only question we asked along those lines. And we've heard, we've heard different things from our students who've gone through the process in, in terms of times. Honestly, I was surprised by some of the times they were a lot less than I thought. Than I remember seeing when I went through 
uh, re the residency interview process. So it, it, if, and that may just be the regional differences in, in programs that they specifically applied to. But I, I was curious, I'm glad you asked that Taylor. I was curious about a trend. If there's been like a trend in, in decreasing the amount of time and getting more, trying to find more efficiency in their time to answer and look these things up before they have to present them or in their presentation in general. We're going to find out if programs tell you or tell candidates about these activities in a, just a bit, but first we're going to break. Sarah, you're now a veteran on this podcast, so and you've listened to it, and you, you know we love asking questions. So we've got another round of postgraduate trivia, and uh, I will go first. Of course, from Tennessee, love Tennessee, I'm asking another Tennessee one. Taylor should actually be okay with this one because he's from Missouri. So, and this question deals a little bit with Tennessee and Missouri. So my question is how many states border Tennessee? I just need the number. Eight. Oh, that's so quick. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I'm just impressed by how fast you answered that question. Well, interestingly enough, in the residency recruitment process, um, <laughs> I have identified residency programs in the neighboring states to Tennessee, and as a result, there are eight states. Yeah, I the the, the confidence you just displayed, Taylor was not going to say anything uh, but eight. I know it. <laughs> I w she stole my answer. I was going to say eight too. You were so. say eight too. Good one. Good recovery, see, Taylor. I, I was expecting to because I can see you all here. They can't. They don't see us now but i can see you i was expecting to see like the eyes go up and start counting and doing like, okay one two three i was not expecting just a, a straight answer i lived there my whole life and i couldn't even tell i would have to be like okay wait which ones do we have here <laughs> nope eight <laughs> i would have missed missouri for sure i had no idea tennessee bordered missouri yep anyway the boot heel <laughs> all right so my my question this week is also about Christmas movies. Uh, this time it's about Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> Sean, I'm sure you've seen this as well with your kids. No, they were asking to watch this last night. They were singing the song and they want to watch Frosty the Snowman. They were, they were trying to prepare you for trivia. Yeah, um, we had it, but which of course we had to go see which who streams Frosty the Snowman. It's nothing that we own, and then it's like I'm not paying for it. So. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Sean, we, I have two little girls and we are in the same boat. For us, it was The Grinch. Like, who streams The Grinch? Well, that's what we ended up watching because it's on Freeform. Uh -huh. <laughs> They're all in cahoots together, all the streaming platforms to make sure all the content is spread out enough to where you have <laughs> nice to subscribe to all of them. Yeah. Sorry to distract, Taylor. Keep um, going. So in the movie, um, Frosty the Snowman, Frosty comes to life as a result of something um, so what specific item that is, so he's a snowman, obviously, what specific part of him that is put on or put in him that uh, makes him come to life? So is it his scarf, his carrot nose, his buttons, or his hat? I'm just glad you didn't say all the above, because <laughs> that would have really thrown me off. My guess is going to, I think I know, I haven't seen this movie in forever, but I thought it was his hat. That's going to be my guess. So my guess is going to be either his hat or his carrot nose. Mm. So I'll go with his carrot nose. All right. Well, Sean, you are right. Oh, <laughs> see, I thought, I thought <laughs> you were going to say scarf. I thought the carrot nose was a good distractor, though. I would have also 
thought about that as well. <laughs> Good test question writing, Miss Taylor. <laughs> I missed it. Had some, I've had some practice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great questions. All right. So back to the, I promised we would answer this question beforehand. So will candidates be informed of these types of activities up front or should they have to go in prepared? to just get whatever? That is a great question. I think some programs may tell applicants if, for instance, they have to give a presentation that needs to be prepared beforehand. But for the most part, I don't think many programs really do share that information up front. My advice would be to go in prepared for any of the assessments that we talked about and just to expect that you're going to have to do at least one. Yeah, I remember whenever I was, I had the a lot of different types of these assessments when I was going through residency interviews, even back when I, whenever I was going through this process, but I had some where I would, when I had to develop presentations in advance, um, obviously they would tell you about that or else you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to prepare those. But I'd say for the most part with a, if there was like a clinical skills soap note questions, I feel like for the most part, those weren't necessarily as transparent on, you know, when they invited you for the interview, you might've been scheduled to meet with some preceptors, but you had no idea what it entailed or if it could have been one of those things. So a lot of times that if I felt like that was a surprise almost. Yeah, I think that's true. And you mentioned Taylor, kind of the itinerary for your interview It may not be on there, but it may be on there, like a time block for you to do some sort of clinical assessment. And so if kind of through deductive reasoning, you can figure out that's what that is. I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask some questions about, you know, what you might be doing. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you you got offered the interview at that point. It's not like they're going to say, you asked this question we're pulling our interview request. Exactly. You know? yeah. So there's no harm in, in saying, hey, I just want to clarify what, what this piece is. And that's great. I, I wouldn't even have thought of that point. Well, and so, but if you do ask, be prepared for them to say, eh, we can't give you any, <laughs> any more information. <laughs> they may or may not be willing to disclose what you'll be doing. But like, like Sean, you said, I, I don't think there's any harm in asking. No, I, trade secrets, right? Yeah. So what, when these types of assessments are required, they see them, they are notified of ahead of time, or they're just, they get on site and, and they have them. How do you suggest applicants approach preparing for them? So that's a great question. And we actually published a follow-up to the characterization paper with some tips for preparing for those assessments. So I mentioned we found that clinical questions were the most common assessment that was used, I think it's important for applicants to prepare for those questions by reviewing evidence-based therapy for common disease states. I would say, especially first-line drug therapy, monitoring, how do you handle pharmacotherapy for a disease state if first-line therapy isn't an option, say because of patient-specific factors or maybe drug shortages. There's a lot of that going on right now. I think applicants can review cases and and things that they learned during their APPE rotations kind of as a refresher. Preparing for soap notes or the care plans, I think, includes a lot of the things that you would do to prepare for clinical questions. But an added piece to that is making sure that applicants are able to effectively use the pharmacist patient care process. 
I don't know about you guys at Auburn, but I know here at Tennessee, that's something that we've intentionally incorporated more of into our curriculum because it really is a great standard way to think about developing a pharmacotherapy plan for a patient. So making sure that they can use the pharmacist patient care process to develop a plan that then they can present either in a written format or a verbal format. For the formal presentations, we mentioned that a couple of times. I think it's a good idea to think about reusing a presentation that applicants have already given on a rotation. It may have to be tweaked to meet the requirements of the program, but I think it helps kind of with nerves and anxiety if they've already presented that presentation once before, they've already re received feedback on it that they could incorporate for their interview and, you know, make it better than it was the first time. You guys know as well as I do that interview time is, is very busy, so reusing a presentation prevents the applicant from having to develop a new presentation while balancing a lot of other responsibilities. And for those presentations, I know you give this advice, I do too, make sure to practice, 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 <laughs> right? Yes. Time yourself, make sure it's not too long or too short. One thing we can easily do now that wasn't necessarily available when I was going through this process is being able to record yourself, record yourself and watch that presentation. What you learn from doing a self-assessment and a self-evaluation is way more valuable than anything anybody can tell you. So I would encourage you to use our tools of technology that are, that are at our fingertips. And another thing I'll say about presentations is ask a faculty member to review your slides and maybe sit through a practice presentation with you. I can speak for myself. I'm more than happy to do that for my students, and I would say that most of the faculty at your schools or colleges of pharmacy would be happy to do that as well. Yeah, that that's great advice. I love how you mentioned with the presentations, a lot of times programs will just ask the, the applicants to just any topic or presentation that they choose. And so that can be difficult for students because they're like, well, what do I choose? And then choose something that is going to be something that maybe you, like you said, pres you've presented before. I just f can provide an example because I remember this specifically going through the process one of the programs I had that I applied to, I had to do a journal club and they gave the article, the realign trial with the bigotran for mechanical valves that we all know about. But when I did that, so I, ha I had to develop the journal club for that, but then I also did a journal club on my rotation. I was like, can I just do it for this as well? But then also use that, those specific things that I developed for that developed it into presentations for two other programs, even though one was had to be 30 minutes and one was 15. You just kind of cut and expand on things as needed. And so I was really familiar with that trial by the end of it and knew all the details. And um, it was I, I thought it was really helpful to be able to use that, even though it was a little bit different formats, but it was essentially the same information. Yeah, that's a great way to efficiently use your time as a student during that busy time. But then you're repeatedly seeing that information. So you're able to become an expert to some degree. Like even now, Taylor, how many years later do you still remember the name of that trial? Yeah, I still. <laughs> what they I, found in the patient population. Yep, I still talk about it with, with my students all the time because I <laughs> had it ingrained into my brain. That's great. You just mentioned a bunch of situations and, and different things that they could do. What what happens when they're on site? They're doing this presentation or soap note 
or reviewing this patient case or some of the examples that you gave, what if, what if they're doing this and they just don't know the answer to the question? How are they, or they get tripped up because they get a question from, from the panel or the, or whoever they're presenting this to, and they're just like stuck. How do they handle that situation? So the first thing I would say is take a deep breath, right? It's important to remember that none of us knows everything. That pharmacy is continually changing. It requires us to be lifelong learners. We all know that. You're never going to know everything, and that's okay. So take a deep breath. But what I want to see if you encounter a situation like that is I want you to admit it. And then I want you to not just stop there, but talk the interviewer through your thought process of how you would approach finding the answer or resolving the issue. Your interviewers understand that you're not going to know everything, but we want you to be able to figure out how to solve the problem, not only in that moment, but also during residency. So we're able to see your critical thinking skills, your problem solving skills, and that to some degree, is even more valuable than you knowing the exact answer. Sounds familiar, Taylor. I was going to (laughs) say, this sounds like deja vu, um, like a broken record. Uh, But (laughs) no, those are, that's exactly what I would say. And what we, we tell our students in our elective, if they, if they aren't sure of an answer is to be able to like have that self-regulation to not just spit out something that may or may not be correct without any thought process behind it, but be able to kind of admit it, kind of theorize like where you're, where you're thinking or what, what you're thinking about and how you would rationalize that. And then even you could even go as far as to say, Hey, I, I w- and this is where I, where I would go to solve that problem. I would, you know, go to my drug information resource, or I would have to do a PubMed search or, or whatever, depending on the situation. And, I think that just kind of goes and shows that you have that capability of being a problem solver, which is so valuable during residency that I think that would actually, like you said, be a very good thing for that for that applicant. Yeah, I like, Taylor, that you said talking through exactly what resources you would use to solve that problem, because that gives your interviewer really good insight into, okay, here's what you know about, here's how you would use your sources, and that translates very well into residency. One thing I was also going to say is you may have some interviewers that ask you an off-the-wall question just to see how you respond in that situation and what your thought process would be. So try not to react in the moment, try to take a deep breath and kind of take things as they come. Yeah, and I think thinking back to a couple episodes ago during one of our bonus episodes, we had our spooky interview stories, and one of the messages we got was about a a student who she realized after during one of her clinical questioning series, like she she had called spironolactone an ARB, and she knows that that was completely wrong, but then she realized that, and she went back later and say, "I'm so sorry, I called that." I call spironolactone an arm. I know it's an aldosterone antagonist. And so, you know, even if that comes up or, or you have that moment of, of panic, just, you know, stay calm, cool, collected, and just correct yourself. Because like you said, we all make mistakes and we all don't know everything. So just being able to reason through it and everything. Yep. Yeah. And I think if somebody was to say, 
going back a little bit to what you're all saying about uh, how you'd search for it. If, if someone's like, here's exactly where I go, here's what I type in, or here's what I'd look for. To me, it's instantly clear that they've done it before and they know how to do it. And they're not just making this up because it's like, well, that's, that's, you know, that's where I would expect you to go or that's a good place to go. So it shows yeah. that it, it may not, it, it demonstrates like a behind the scenes between the lines They've done this before. They've had questions like this before. They've they've looked this stuff up before. So I'm confident they probably could yeah. do what I'm not seeing, which is actually find a good answer or a or be confident in the answer and and not be fooled by that. So. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So Sarah, any closing thoughts or last minute advice you'd have regarding assessments during residency interviews? Yeah, so my advice would be to be prepared to be asked to do some sort of clinical knowledge or problem-solving assessment during your on-site interviews. Prepare for clinical questions. Those are the most common things that you're going to encounter. Review evidence-based therapy for common disease states and really challenge yourself to know alternative therapies for patient-specific situations. I would also say make sure you can effectively use the PPCP or the pharmacist patient care process so you're able to develop evidence-based care plans and present them either written or verbally. And if you're asked to give a presentation, try to use one you've already presented and practice, practice, practice. So Sarah, thank you for being a repeat guest on the Postgraduate Pharmacist today and for all your valuable insights into this topic. So thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed being with you on the podcast. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.